0: All right, we'll start a new book, Second Chronicles, which is really one continuous book from First Chronicles. <laughs> so we're just going to move right on in. The book of Second Chronicles kind of parallels the book of First and Second Kings in that uh, it talks uh, about the nation of Judah and their kings and those who were uh, trying to follow the godly reign of King David. We're not going to hear too much about the northern kingdom in here unless it ha- they happen to uh, interact with the southern kingdom. So we're going to hear a lot about Jehoshaphat, Joash, Hezekiah, Asa, uh, those kings, uh, some of those reformers there. Uh, we're also going to see about the temple worship and the temple that's going to be built by Solomon as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of parallels with First and Second Kings here going into the book of Second Chronicles. Uh, so we get ready to hear some of that. And this is more of a, of a view from, from God's perspective uh, going into Second Chronicles, uh, not so much a political or the king's perspective on it. So we get a little different look at it, a little different angle. So let's we'll go ahead and get started in verse 1. It says, Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. So we see here, off, starting off the bat, God was behind Solomon and him being the king. And he exalted him, and, and Solomon was strengthened in, uh, in running his kingdom here by God. And we look at the reign of Solomon, which his name means peaceful. And we can look at this as almost a rain, the reign that Jesus is going to have one day. We look at Solomon's uh, reign with Israel. It was a peaceful reign. It was a time of peace, a time of prosperity. And we know that the Lord is going to come back one day, and he's going to reign in peace and prosperity as well. But we also know with that peace and prosperity that Solomon had, there was blood that had to be shed. David had went to war and shed a lot of blood and fought to get that peace and prosperity that Solomon was now going to reign in. And we think about our Lord and Savior and the blood that was shed. for we can have that peace and prosperity and reign with him one day. It almost parallels each other as well. So we we look at Solomon here. He's starting to his uh, kingdom is being strengthened. Had already been strengthened through David, and had been established through David, and now we see him kind of taking over the reins of things, and we see God, who is going to exalt him uh, exceedingly. And we all know from First and Second uh, Kings, we know what that means exceedingly. He was honor and wealth and prestige and, and all these different things uh, that God blessed him with uh, during this peaceful peaceful reign. Verse 2, it says, and Solomon spoke to all of Israel, to the captains of thousands uh, and uh, and of hundreds, to the uh, judges and to every leader in all of Israel, the heads of the father's houses. Then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. For the tabernacle of meeting with God was there, which Moses, the servant of the uh, Lord, had made in the wilderness. But David had brought... Up the Ark of God from uh, Kerjath Jerim to the palace, to the place David had prepared for it, and he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar that, uh, that Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, uh, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord, and, and, and Lord Solomon and the assembly sought him there. So now we see Solomon gathering all his assembly, all the judges, all the leadership, the heads of the house, probably parts of the army, and they're going down to Gibeon to worship the Lord in the tabernacle. Now this is the same tabernacle that Moses had made. It had lasted this long. So God definitely preserved the tabernacle because that's a long time between Moses and uh, Solomon here. Uh, But we notice, too, it doesn't say that David ever wanted to move the tabernacle from Gibeon to Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant was. We don't know the reason why. I don't know if there was some kind of disagreement within Israel over, well, hey, it he needs to stay here, shouldn't move here, whatever. David didn't didn't uh, move it up to that place. But he gets all the people of the assembly, takes it down to to the tabernacle to worship and to uh, and to give thanks to God. And all the leaders went with them. And uh, one thing that the tabernacle lacked was the ark of God. And we talked about that earlier, how we brought him into Jerusalem. The main purpose of mentioning this was presumably to draw attention to the necessity for a place to worship, which would unite all together. And Solomon was wanting to uni- unite everyone under the worship of God and to come together as one. So they would all meet in the tabernacle, which brought some of the, the old time with Moses uh, in there. You would see that with the tabernacle. And in John 17, we see Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he's also praying for us, those who believe in the future believers, wanting a sense of unity for those who would believe. And Solomon was wanting to bring that unity together there in Israel to where they would all worship in one central spot and all worship the the true and living God. And I know today we're divided either by doctrine, by race, or by personality differences within the church. Uh, There was a story about uh, a man who was on an island. And uh, 15 years he spent there in the South Pacific, and someone finally found him and rescued him. And when they came on the island, they said, "Uh, what do you have here? He goes, oh, well, this is where I live. Then there was another place. He goes, what is this? He goes, that's my church. Then they said, well, what is that hut over there? He goes, well, that's the church I used to go to. (laughs) So I think think as as human beings, we find a reason to split and, and... and, and divide ourselves. So it, just like uh, the division we have in the body of Christ today, one day that's all going to be gone. And there's going to be unity amongst the saints. And we're all going to uh, rule and reign with Christ and be able to worship him in spirit and truth. And it um, seems to have some, have some little division here where the tabernacle was in one spot, Ark of the Covenant was in another spot. And eventually we're all going to worship as one. Thank God. And then we see here about the bronze altar, and on the other hand, uh, this was another sacred object that, uh, that Moses had brought up uh, along with the tabernacle. And they did a lot of sacrifice in here. And uh, this was between the wilderness and the prom- promised land. There's about 500-year difference right now. And this, this altar is still there as well as the tabernacle. That can only be an act of God to be able to keep these, these sacred items intact and still with Israel. So in verse 6, it says, And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. It's a lot. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? So we see Solomon going up here to offer a thousand burnt offerings. That is a lot of, that is a, that's a lot of offerings to go and burn. but he's doing this to make atonement for the people and it also represented an act of dedication to God he's thanking God for what he is doing, the work that God is doing in Israel in him, knowing that he had promised David that uh, he, w- he would rule and reign through his lineage and we see him worshiping God here he was also indicating that while He may have been the human king in Israel and the human king that God chose. But God was still Lord, even though he was ruling right now. And so uh, Solomon, the people of God, sought the Lord at this place of atoning sacrifice. And this is the image of the cross where they're going there to make atonements for their sins and to get them right. to make them right by God, just like at the cross. We go to the cross to get atoned, and to get our sins forgiven and to get ourselves right. With christ to be being right standing with god so this is an image of that and i think about these thousands of burnt offerings that he's he's giving here and sometimes people have a hard time just giving a couple of dollars out their pocket of sacrifice for the church but but he was really on fire for god and he really wanted to worship god he worshiped him all day those thousand uh burnt offerings didn't happen in a second that was an all-day event uh worshiping god and, and he had the inspiration to do this, and, and now we're going to see that he also had a revelation that came after this. Uh, having, it says, haven't you found that when you're really in there with the Lord and you're really studying his word and you're in tune with him, that he wants to speak to you? And that's when we get to speak to the Lord. And often we say, well, I don't know why the Lord's not speaking to me right now because our heart's not in the right place. We're really not seeking him. We lie to ourselves and tell, them, tell ourselves we're seeking him. But often we're not. We're not seeking them at all. But we see here, we see Solomon with, uh, with a true heart of worship, wanting to offer the sacrifice to God and thank him. And God is going to reward him by speaking to him. So in return for this, God, uh, got this act, God appeared to him in a dream and offered him a gift. This was a gift of, that the gracious Lord gives to a faithful subject. And I'm pretty sure we all have our stories of gifts that God has given to us When we were faithful to him. I mean our gift of salvation. Number one. If he never gives us another gift at all. is the greatest gift we can have. And he didn't have to do that. But he had the grace and mercy on us to do that. And we were faithful in following him. So in verse 7. Which we had just read it says. On that night God appeared to Solomon. And said to him ask. What shall I give you? This is an amazing offer that he's he's asking Solomon. He says, uh, "Have you ever considered what you might ask for if God was to ask you? What can I do for you?" And probably a hundred million things go through our mind what we might ask for. But I would say turn it back to him and say, "Well, what do you want to give me? What is it that you want to do for me? I don't want to request anything. I just want whatever you want for me." And that's ultimately what we need to tell our our Savior and our Lord. What do you want from me? And now granted, Solomon, which we'll see in a minute, did ask for a good thing because God himself said it was a good thing to ask for that. But G. Campbell Morgan said, It is interesting to note that notwithstanding the fact that the ark was not there, that God met with Solomon and communed with him. Israel was so worried about uh, where they should worship at. We should worship down in uh, Gibeon because that's where the the tabernacle's at. Oh, we need to worship here because this is where the ark is at. But God is bigger than a box in a building or a tent. And he can meet, and this this here, showing that he met him in a dream, that means God can meet us anywhere. No matter what stage of life we're in, no matter what uh, spiritual uh, stance we're in, the Lord will meet you. He's meeting Solomon here in a dream. It says in verse 8, it says, And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to, uh, to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. So here we see Solomon, the first thing he does in verse eight it say, "You have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place he 's thanking God for stuff that has already been done he's bringing to god 's attention, hey, thank you for all this you have done, blessing my Father in the reign that he had for those forty years, for putting me on the throne just like you promised my father you would so he 's thanking him for things that have already be done and I think acknowledging God for things he's done in our life is a good place to start in prayer and often we, we, we want to get so quick to the request in, in prayer but I think it's good to start by acknowledging him and, and uh, the Lord's prayer itself our father who art in heaven starts off by acknowledging who he is and what he is to us and, and here again we see Solomon acknowledging the things that God has already done in his life And the things he's established in his family's life. So I think that is a great place to start. And now Solomon has acknowledged this. What God has already done. And now Solomon will begin to ask. And our natural reaction is. You know we see God giving Solomon these promises. Are these promises for us too? Are some of these promises that God has in his Bible for us. And often we have to ask for them. And as Christians we don't often ask. ...for these blessings. We want them, but we don't ask for them. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, "...ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you." Continuously asking God for the blessings and the promises that he has offered. In John fifteen seven, it says, "...if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask uh, what you desire and it shall be done for you." It says, "...you will ask what you desire." But there's something to the beginning that if you abide in me, in my word, the things you're going to desire is going to be what God desires. So when you're asking them, you're going to be praying in God's will when asking what you desire. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what you just said, he hears us. So when Solomon's going to ask this request of God, it is definitely in God's will. To rec- to to go ahead and answer this request. Alright. So in verse 9 it says. Now O Lord God let your promise to uh, David my father be established. For you have made me king over people. Like the dust of the earth in multitude. So Solomon now is remembering that. Uh, the, the promise that had been made to his father and that he's going to be ruling over the people of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. He's going to be ru- ruling over these people. And he could probably remember that the stories of Abraham, I said, going to be like, the people are going to be like the, the sand of the, of, the, of the sea or the stars. There's going to be a multitude of people that he's going to have to reign over. And he's starting to realize the importance and the, and the stress that that's going to take. I think it's starting to sink in now that hey, this is a lot of people that you're putting in my charge in verse ten it says, Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge uh, this great people of yours? So we see him asking just like we've seen over in first uh, in second King, um, first kings when he was acting for wisdom, we see him asking this here. And if you remember in 1 Chronicles uh, 22, 11 through 13, we can see where he got this idea of asking for wisdom and knowledge came from because his own father prayed this for him. And, uh, and I mentioned that when we were, at, we were in chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles, that that's probably where Solomon received, uh, thought about asking for wisdom and knowledge because he heard his father pray it as well. Another thing that Solomon is doing by asking this is he's not seeking his own needs he's seeking the kingdom's needs and in Matthew six thirty three we all know that one it says but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you seek first the kingdom of God everything else will be added to us whatever needs we have whatever even wants we have he may bless us with it all starts with seeking the kingdom first and this is what king solomon is doing he's seeking after the will of god solomon is is practicing what jesus priest, preached he's not asking for wealth he's not asking for power he's not asking for glory and asking for knowledge and why and uh to wisely rule he sought nothing for himself but sought it all for the kingdom he was all about what god wanted him to do and in verse 11 it says then god said to Solomon." Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. So God not only granted him the knowledge and and the wisdom to be able to rule these people. God went above and beyond that because you didn't even ask for these things and your heart was in the right place. You were seeking the kingdom first. I'm going to add these other things to you. Because let's be honest, most people, if they had three wishes, they'll they'll ask for money. They'll ask for glory. They'll ask for honor. Go oh, ask asked for all these things that Solomon didn't ask for. And since he didn't ask that, God granted it to him. Second Chronicles 16, 9, which we'll get to that later, weeks from now, says we read that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the heart of them, whose heart is perfected towards him. God is looking for people with that heart, like that heart that David had to have a heart after God. He's looking for people like that, that he, he would be able to bless them just like he's blessing Solomon whose heart was in the right spot at this moment in time. He had a genuine request to get wisdom and knowledge to rule the people. And God's looking for people with hearts like that Are our hearts like that. Probably not all the time. But I think as believers who love Christ and believers who want to do his will, I believe our hearts are that way and God has blessed us. God has blessed us to live in this country we live in, even though we don't like the politics of it right now. God has blessed us to be here. God has blessed us to be here tonight to be able to to be blessed through his word. God has blessed us to be able to have this word in our hand. There's many of our brothers and sisters who don't have this word in their hands. But God is looking for those who have that heart. A genuine heart of love and, and devotion to him to where he's, he'll be able to use them and mold them into what what he needs done to accomplish his mission, so I all pray my, my prayer for all of us is that our heart will be moldable by him that he'll be able to mold it into his image into what he wants us to do and what his plan is for each of us as individuals. Amen and God is acknowledging the sincerity of his prayer. Uh, God answered, this, God's answer was a beautiful, uh, beautiful instance of the overflowing love and grace of the divine heart. All the things Solomon set aside for the sake of wisdom were also given to him. And We go back to uh, the verse there where seek the kingdom of God first. That's the key to it all. If we seek the kingdom of God and we seek it with a pure heart, God is going to add everything we need to do his will. And, and more. Because I, I don't think we quite understand in our finite minds how much God wants to bless us. And how much God wants to give us. And often because we don't ask. Often because our hearts are not in that right place. We don't get that blessing sometimes. And we, we often have to go without. But when our heart is aligned with his. <laughs> is, is Is limitless what he he, he can do with you. So we've got to make sure our hearts are right and aligned with him. Verse 13, it says, So Solomon came to Jerusalem from the high place that was at Gibeon from before the tabernacle of meeting and reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots uh, and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the kings in Jerusalem. Also, the king made silver and gold, as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowlands. And Solomon uh, had horses imported from Egypt and Cave. The king's uh, merchants uh, bought them in Cave at the current price. They also acquired, an important, um, also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot worth 600 shekels of silver and a horse of, uh, for 150. Thus, through uh, their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So now we're going to take a little turn from Solomon worshiping God and doing the things of God and being obedient to God. And here we're going to see him start to gain some of his wealth, uh, that he, he was famous for. And he began, uh, he began well and had acknowledged his rule under God. But now we're going to see that one of his acts was to immediately disobey God. He talks about him gathering up the horses from Egypt and the chariots and such. And in Deuteronomy 17 16, God spoke specifically to future kings of Israel. He said, but he shall not multiply horses for himself. And that's one of the first things Solomon started doing was multiplying horses for himself and building up an army that God is saying here you should not be doing. Now, he got his wealth also because uh, Solomon also made use of Israel's strategic uh, path that it was on and where it was located in the region. A lot of people going to Egypt or they were going off to Uh, Arabia, or they were going off to asia or they're going towards europe in these areas and that was kind of a crossroad of the day so a lot of them would pass either through jerusalem or along the coast in the mediterranean to get to these different places so he would get a lot of merchants that would come in and out of there and a lot of money was made through that way as well so god had made solomon rich without the necessity of warfare and he said that he was going to bless them with, with, uh, with riches. He said he was going to bless them with all these things. And he did it without warfare. Unlike his dad who had to go out, David, who went out and had warfare to gain his riches and to gain the items needed for the temple that was going to be built. Solomon did gain it in a peaceful way through these routes and, and, and such. In verse 16, he goes on to talk about it. it says, these horses were certainly high valued around the world. These were not horses that you would use just to ride on and to use on farms. These are horses that were used for war. These chariots were, were the high-tech tanks of the day, I guess you can say. These are the items of warfare that they use, and he sold them to other countries. He was an arms dealer as well, I guess, selling these horses and these chariots to other countries as he, as he would get them in. But once again, he ignored Deuteronomy seventeen sixteen that you're not to take to gather up these horses for yourself. So... And in verse seventeen, it said they also acquired and imported from Egypt a chariot of six hundred shekels of silver. There was nothing, no money being spared on these items. He 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 spent lavishly. That's that's for sure. So it's hard to understand. We all know, reading through First and Second Kings, that Solomon had a decline in his reign towards towards the end. He was almost worshiping, basically worshiping other gods and had fallen astray. And there's no, we don't know when this happened or how it started to happen, but you can kind of look at it like this. First, he had the disobedience by multiplying horses for the service of the kingdom. And he obtained them from where? Egypt. So, since he had a connection with Egypt, he ended up doing what? We read that he married Pharaoh's daughter. So now he's, 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 with women who are not of of God, with foreign women, so he started to be marrying the he started by marrying the Egyptian, and now he's going to marry other foreign women. He got a taste of that. And now, hey, I'm going to marry these other foreign women. Then we're going to see because of the presence of the foreign wives, he ended up building temples to other gods. That were for them, for for his wives to go and worship. It wasn't for him at the time, but eventually. Because of the presence of these temples, he began to worship these other gods himself. And thus began the fall of Solomon. But let's look at it. A disobedience in our lives can also lead to a domino effect of sin. One sin leading to another one leading to another one to cover up another one. Just like our lying, cover up one lie to cover up another lie to cover up another lie. And it's this domino effect that happens. And Solomon was right in asking for wisdom and knowledge to be able to guide uh, the people of God, and to guide Israel. But that didn't carry over into his personal life at all. So it would have been good of him to ask for that wisdom, not only for his people, but to govern his own life and his own family as well. But it, it didn't go over. So I pray that we do ask God for wisdom and knowledge and to seek his kingdom first. Not only in our professional lives, but in our personal lives as well let's learn that from Solomon, so it is good to seek the wisdom and the knowledge of God in all things. Amen all right, Father God, we thank you for this uh message tonight, Lord, and that uh let our hearts be be shaped and molded into into what you want for us, Father God, and whenever we're asked uh, you know, a request from you, Lord. Let it be whatever you want for our lives. Let you give us the gift that you see fitting for us, Father. And let the wisdom and knowledge that, that Solomon had, let it also be for us to to be able to, to do, make wise decisions, not only professionally, but in our personal lives and in every area of our life. Let us have your wisdom and your knowledge uh, uh, given to us, Father God. We thank you for this message tonight. We ask that you would bless all those who are here. We ask for those who have not made it tonight, that you would bless them as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.